So like I've made this mistake countless times at all different levels of trying to get too much stuff done. And you look back and it's like, man, we're not really good at any of this stuff. You know what I mean? It's because I'm trying to do too much stuff and we're not good. So like there's times like even right now where I'm like, I'm trying to get too much stuff done. And I've had to like take a step back and realize, okay, wait, you're 16 years old. Realistically, if I just do front squats and chin-ups with you and I do that twice a week, you're going to make a ton of progress. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So one thing that's been distinctly lacking over the last six or seven years in the Pacey Performance Podcast is people that work in high schools. And I know it's not a huge market here in the UK, although it is definitely growing. It's a huge market, obviously, in the US, uh, where strength and conditioning coaches, many strength and conditioning coaches earn their full-time living in those sorts of environments. So I'm absolutely delighted to get Joey Burglas on the episode today. So Joey is at JJPS High School and gives an insight into what it's like to work in a high school and optimise working in a high school because it is challenging, like huge huge groups of kids some want to be there some don't so managing groups is a, is a key part of this conversation but how we optimize the sessions that have been put on for whether it be strength and power whether it be speed whether it be plyometrics whatever it may be how can we set up sessions and create environments where large groups of kids can flourish so a really really interesting episode coming up with Joe, whether you're in the UK and want to get into the high school setting or whether you're in the US and are currently in the high school setting. So fantastic episode coming up with Joey. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics Force Plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating Force Plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics Force Plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool, which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing, and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro, and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, 
head over to their website, imeasureyou.com, or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Joey Burglas. Joey Burglas, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you for giving up some of your afternoon to, to, uh, to come on for a chat. Oh, absolutely, man. Really, uh, really appreciative and super excited to be on and, uh, you know, talk it up. My pleasure. How did I do with the surname? Oh, it was perfect. Spot Smashed on. Smashed it. Smashed yeah. it. Is this, is this your first podcast with someone from, from Britain, from England? I am pretty sure it is. Yeah, yes. this is the first one. Boom. Happy days. Let's Happy go. Happy days. Absolutely. Better than a Wayne Rooney goal. Better than a Wayne Rooney goal. <laughs> Well, Joey, anyone that doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving us a brief background on you? Just two or three minutes, what you've done before, what you're doing now. Yeah, so uh, so I'm currently the, the director of strength and conditioning at the high school that I work at. Um, it's a high school in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, so where I'm at, I I work and oversee all the teams that we have. So I, I can't, I, I want to say it's like 14 teams. Um, and then with that, we have two feeder uh, junior high. So that would be like 12 to 14 year olds, um, you know, in age. So I oversee kind of like what goes on at that level. So I think we have a, a relatively, um, you know, kind of innovative, if you will, kind of approach to that from a longer term developmental standpoint of, uh, you know, introducing from a vertical integration standpoint, what we're doing with our 12 to 14 year olds as they come up to the, the high school level, the, the 14, 15 to 18 year olds uh, level. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at and kind of what I do right now. Before that, I was at, uh, Texas Tech University where I worked, uh, with football, um, only, uh, before that I was at Utah state for university, which is another, uh, division one school for, uh, three and a half about years. And there I worked with football, but I also, uh, was the lead strength coach for women's soccer and softball. And I had helped with some other teams there as well. And then before that, I've been at some other, uh, schools and universities, uh, smaller, um, smaller division or smaller levels, if you will. So I've had, I guess, uh, what you consider some unique experiences in that I've worked for the most part, pretty much at kind of every level from where I'm at now with like 12, you know, 13, 14 year olds to, uh, you know, higher level college professional athletes and everything in between. So I, I've been able to draw some, uh, you know, knowledge and insight and kind of seeing a lot of things, you know, from all those different angles, variations of athletes, um, you know, skill levels and abilities. And it's kind of, uh, you know, played a large role in my thought process and other things with that, uh, you know, what I currently do and hopefully what I'll continue to do in the future. Nice, mate. The high school programs that we see even more so on Instagram and Twitter and things from from a person based here in the UK, an English guy, are fascinated with the scale of things over there with the with the high school programs that you run. So I'm super excited to get you on because even for the Brits that are listening, like it's a it's a growing area here to invest in facilities, to invest in staff and uh, to, to building this this these school programs that are that are um, obviously funded by the school and schools are starting to to value athletic development. So it's, it's great to get you on to get an insight into your world over there and how that potentially transfers to, uh, to stuff over here and obviously worldwide as well. So what was the reason for you, just a bit into your background, diving in a little bit, what was the reason for kind of dropping down the ages and going to high school level versus staying at collegiate? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I was always kind of intrigued by, and I guess kind of going into my background is, you know, probably people similar in age to me and older, uh, 
that didn't grow up with social media. You're when I say grow up, didn't go through like junior high and high school with social media. And I'll be honest, I think YouTube honestly started when I was getting towards the end of my kind of where I was at in high school. Um, so a lot of what I got introduced to from a strength and conditioning standpoint was first of all, there wasn't anything like there was now in terms of the high school strength and conditioning, uh, you know, in the, in the sense of what, what it is. And even it was really hard to find knowledge. You know, if, if you think about it, it's kind of hard for a lot of people to conceptualize, you know, before YouTube, I tell people, and I'm sure other people can you know, relate to this or, uh, you know, maybe even more so is like uh, you would go on forums and there would be, but there would no be, vid- there wouldn't be videos, you know, the exercises. So I like, I can still remember, descriptions of video uh, descriptions of movements but there's no videos attached to it so you're trying to like you know you're 15 years old and you're trying to like wait well, how do i do this exercise but you can't even like fact check it you know what i mean because there's no well, how are you gonna fact check it you know you're in looking back now there's obviously so many people on these forums that like okay i have no idea what your actual credentials if you have any are or whatnot but so that was kind of uh you know, my experience, you know, growing up and coming up in strength and conditioning was trying to figure a lot of stuff out on my own. Cause there wasn't even just going to like a library or stuff like that. There wasn't really any, a whole lot of information available. Um, so one of the things that's always been in my mind was like, if I could go back in time, like how would I train myself knowing everything that I know now, you know what I mean? And like all the mistakes that I've made, you know, personally, um, you know, in other areas. So that's kind of one of the nice things. And that's one of the things that I've really, really enjoyed, uh, in my current experience is being able to, if you will prevent or trying to mitigate or limit some problems that show up later on, you know, cause I'll be honest, I've had, uh, you know, I've had like 20 year old that are phenomenal football players, whatever sport they may play, but I've, I've had them on the table and we'll just say like an assessment, like hip internal rotation, shoulder, whatever it might be. And you look at it, it's like, you have zero degrees of hip internal rotation. Like you're a phenomenal football player, but you're 20 years old and your hip like literally doesn't move. Like that, that, that's not something that just happened six months ago. You know what I mean? There's like, there was a, there was some, there was things that led to that. You know what I mean? And it could be, there's so many factors and it's hard to, you know, narrow down in that, but it could be that you grew super fast when you were 11 years old. And now, you know what I mean? You're, you're a six to 11 year old. And now you're already at that age. You're not very strong. You know, coordination is not very good. So now, even when you go through any type of movement, and this is kind of one of the things that I've noticed too, is that from a coaching standpoint with younger athletes, things that are really, really hard, people aren't going to intrinsically go there when you're 11, 12, 13 years old. You know what I mean? So you think about like end range dorsiflexion, any type of hip movement or whatever, if you're not weak and you're long, if you're weak, which is what most kids are and you're long limbed, you're not going to go to those like end ranges that you have. So if you're not going to a spot and your nervous system isn't having to send signals there, contract, whatever it is, your body's going to start taking that away. You know what I mean? And so like, that's, that's like an example of like, you know, just something I've kind of noticed, thought about and how that can be mitigated is I think what the kind of the program that I've got, you know, outlined with our younger athletes and things like that of I'm seeing where someone wants to go. Like if I just let them do the movement on their own, but I also know what they're capable of when I actually coach it or I put them in a situation where it's like, no, 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 you're, you can actually go another three inches farther. I know this is 10 times harder, but now we're kind of hopefully preventing that process of what I see when someone, you know, is five years down the line and what's causing what's, what's, what's coming to that kind of fruition with that stuff. So that's, that's kind of the interesting thing. And that, like I said, if I wouldn't have had those experiences, you know, with those individuals, then my thought process on some of this stuff would be totally different. I probably wouldn't be looking at things. So those ways, you know what I mean? So like, that's kind of been one of the, the things of using those experiences seeing stuff down the chain and then trying to go back and trying to, you know, I wouldn't say fix, but trying to like figure out a way, well, how can we better, 
utilize, whether it's our time, our resources, our space to get to the, to a better endpoint, if you will. Cause and the other thing too, I mean, I'll be, we're obviously training from a sports performance standpoint, but the other point of when you look at longevity and, you know, health and overall like enjoyment of life, if you can't move well or you're restricted, you know what I mean? Like I, we've all been hurt probably and we can't train, you know what I mean? For probably most of us like training, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's, not that's a negative. You know what I mean? Like I want to be able to, you know, go to the gym and train four or five times a week, but if I'm hurt or my elbow or my knee, or I can't do the things that I want, then for me personally, and probably most people that are listening, that's not a good thing. Now, if you are experiencing that when you're 25, 30 years old, I don't think things aren't going to just necessarily get better by the time you're 40 and 50. You know what I mean? So it's like, so if I have someone that has a horrible hip when they're 20 years old, that is, that's probably not a good long-term, like, what are you going to be when you're 50 years old? You know what I mean? So like if you're 50 years old and now you're like, you know, like having to use a cane to go up and down the <laughs> stairs, like you, you know what I mean? So like, that's kind of my overall thought process of how can we restore, how can we keep movement? And then how can we build on the physical qualities on top of that? Because I think from a long-term health, you know, overall wellness standpoint, that's where I think a lot of the, the, the positive benefits from a lot of the stuff that, at least in my opinion, my, my thoughts and my training kind of revolve around, uh, if you will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And bad experiences at that age do last a lifetime. Like you have a bad experience in a physical education class with a swimming teacher, with a football coach, whatever it is, that can put kids off for life. So having them positive experiences early on can, like you say, not only from a physical health movement point of view, but just from a daily activity like general health point of view, it's so important. So, which is why it's becoming, hopefully, becoming such a a big area here because it can be, it can have such a positive experience for for kids, and that moves into young adults and adults, and yeah. What what so, you just said, honestly, that's been that's been an observation I've noticed over the last year is seeing individuals that you know maybe are kind of like uh not they don't like lifting but they don't like it. you know they're kind of like in between or kind of the health and the wellness and then seeing them transform into they're the ones that like you can tell like th- from subtle things that they're not even saying that they're like like a good example of someone that's relatively mellow that this athlete and we've been like talking about his vertical jump and stuff like that. He hit a PR. He didn't even see this, but after he hit his PR, I see, I saw him give him a little fist himself a little, like, you know, like kind of that. Yes. He, you know what I mean? So I see that. And that's like a very high level engagement. Like, I don't need to know it. Like you're enjoying this process. You know what I mean? Of like, we train, you, you did all this for eight weeks and now we hit this P you know what I mean? Like things like that. And that's kind of, I think what keeps us going to like, okay, enjoy, you know, the health, the wellness, all the things that you just mentioned. Like if you have a positive experience that, that how much, the benefits that, that could have on your, your, your life. You know what I mean? So I think that's one of the, the big things that I've kind of noticed and you hit it spot on right there is the effect that those, 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 uh, those situations, experiences can have on the individual. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into the movement training for, for young athletes here. So from your point of view, and this may be something that you benchmark along the way, this may be just kind of thoughts in your head, but movements all young athletes that come through your program should do from a base from a basic level like this is the start point before you go anywhere how are you getting the athletes and the guys and girls that you work with to that minimum point mm-hmm. so i would say first of all i would i would uh i would say it depends on the age of the individual that i'm working with okay. so what i'll give this answer as uh generally the the youngest that i'm working with right now would be like 12 years old so 
if I was working with like a five, six, seven year old, my answer would definitely be a lot different because they're at a, a totally different kind of developmental standpoint. Um, but where I'm at, say, uh, with 12 year olds, what I want to see is I, I, I have about five kind of main movements that and, and, and those main movements are kind of dictated based on the structure that I'm in as well. So I generally like my training sessions, I'll have 50, 60 individuals at once, you know, what I mean, which totally, I'll be honest, that changes up so much like how my how I would train someone is different than maybe what gets portrayed like online or what I what I post online because I'm working with 50 or 60 individuals. If I was working with just two, three, four, five at once, it'd be a lot different. You know what I mean? Because I can actually do a lot more intricate stuff. But when there's one of me and there's 50 athletes, okay, you know what? Like you have to be able to, I guess, scale down. You know what I mean? And how, what can we do to get the most effective benefit out of the situation and kind of the constraints that we have? So uh, being able to do a full squat is extremely important to me. Being able to do a correct push-up, being able to do a chin-up, uh, being able to do a split squat and then being able to do a single leg squat. So those are kind of like my five main ones that I want to look at. Now, obviously, I know like RDLs, posterior chain stuff's in there. Um, and that, that I'm not, that's obviously important. We do that and I teach that and I, we get into that. But those are kind of the five main kind of body weight things that, that I really try and look at. So we'll start kind of everything. It's kind of my general philosophy is I, I'm really big. Charles Poliquin was, was someone that had a big influence on me from a training standpoint, philosophy um, you know, things along those lines. So a lot of my stuff, and I think it relates very, very well, especially with that age to like the learning component of what you're trying to do, because, um, if you're not good at the skill of the movement, then everything that you want to do based on that skill, if you will, is going to be diminished. So like a good example, say, say I start training someone and say, I mean, you agree, disagree, whatever, but I'll just use an example, say in three or four years, I want to start using cluster sets with that individual on like back squats to develop power production. Okay. Cluster sets are effective or whatever for whatever modality you're using. So if you're not good at the back squat and you're not like consistently good, then me doing that, whether it's bands, chains, clusters, I mean, you can name it, isn't going to be very effective. You know what I mean? So developing the actual skill of, say, squatting, for example, that takes a lot of time. You know what I mean? And obviously, we need to develop a certain base level of strength, which takes time and all those things. So like when I'm teaching and, and trying to do all these things, it's kind of from the lens of we need to develop the skill and then we're going to build out to some more of the advanced you know, stuff, if you will. So when we are teaching, we're trying to learn how to do the stuff correctly is I utilize a lot of like slower eccentrics, isometrics and things like that, because the individuals from proprioception standpoint, you're having to feel those movements. So like if you're going fast, I think you can cover up a lot of mistakes. And if I just ask someone to say squat on their own, they're going to do, you know, a fast eccentric, no ISO and come up. Right. So that's intrinsically what they want to do, but that the speed of the movement can cover up some, uh, faults, compensations, you know, whatever it is. When you're having to actually slow down and go through the range and actually like get contractions at those different spots because you're actually going with a slow ISO or I'm sorry, slow eccentric or whatever it is, you're actually getting a better feeling of the movement. You're going you're to be able to do the movement better. And we can actually look at like the connected tissue and the, and the, the effect that that actually has, you know, with the, the different time and retention methods. But that's one of the most important things. So whether it's push-ups, split squats, squats, chin-ups, eccentric lowers, whatever it might be, inverted chin-ups, progressions that we do. Those are kind of the, the the movements, but then how we load them, because that is loading when you're talking about slower time, more time and retention methods. That's how we're loading it. So I'm not concerned at all about the weight, especially with younger athletes. Right. I want to see I want to see young athletes that can do those movements correctly and not just it's not just like from a sport example. It's not just doing it one time. If I have five reps, but I only do one out of five. Correct. In my opinion, you're not good at the movement. 
Like you can do it one time, you know what I mean? But being good at something means that I consistently see it done correctly. And I, and I have the consistency that is done that way most of the time. Now, if I do hundred reps of squats, I might not see 98% done correctly, but I should see, you know, 85, 90% of those done at a high level. Cause then you're actually competent at the movement. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the things, um, if you're working with younger athletes or younger individuals is not just seeing it done one time and expecting, okay, now we're good. Now we can move on. You know what I mean? I need to, and that takes time. That's one of the benefits of training younger athletes is you have time. If I'm working with a 12 year old and say, I've got six years with them, spending an extra three weeks, three weeks might sound like a lot of time, but in the context of six years, it's really not that much time. You know what I mean? So like, I would rather solidify techniques, make sure we're good at stuff and then we'll move on. You know what I mean? Being patient. I call it selective patience. Cause I like, I, I'm very big into having a sense of urgency, but being patient of like, I need to see this developed and then we'll move on. What I don't like or what aggravates me is when we spend six, seven, eight weeks and we really haven't seen any type of progress. You know what I mean? Cause then, okay, I need to go back and look whether it's the progression. This is too complex. I'm not explaining teaching or whatever. So I call it like selective patience. So those are kind of the five, five main movements that I do. And I want all my young athletes to be able to do. And you're going to have some like, so a good example I've got, uh, and it's really encouraging to see some of the stuff. So now I've got freshman, uh, soccer, soccer players, football, uh, for you guys or for you all in the, U, in the UK, but I've got freshmen. It's not just like American football. Like I, I've got freshmen, 14 year old soccer players that are coming in on day one and able to do weighted split squats. Like the way I want knee out over the toe, hamstring on the calf. They're doing full front squats at 14 years old. And that is going through our middle school strength and conditioning program two times a week for like 20 or 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Like it is so night and day difference. And it's not just, volleyball, basketball, like all these sports, the amount of benefit you get from a very small, like you talk about working out or training for two times a week for 20 or 30 minutes for like higher level athletes, that's nothing. You know what I mean? That's really not. But when you talk about a 12, 13, 14 year olds, the amount of stimulus. And the other thing I think that helps with that is I keep a lot of the movements the same. We might, we'll change up variations, very small, but we're going to keep for most of those. And again, because I'm not there all the time, I can't do complex stuff when I'm not there teaching and coaching it, if that makes sense. So like a lot of the stuff that I have them do is stuff that I feel confident that non-strength, like, so what 95% of the time they're going through training sessions with sport coaches, like junior okay. high sport coaches. So again, that's another constraint of what I'm doing with 12 or 14 year olds is a lot of time is very dependent upon the individuals that are teaching and coaching them are not strength conditioning, sports performance professionals. You know, they're, they're coaches and social studies teachers. You know what I mean? So like I, what I have to, what I'm doing, I have to be able to make sure that we're actually executing or able to do it at a good level. And it's definitely better because now our, our, like even our junior high coaches that are in a system for this or second year, they're so like, they can coach, they can teach, they can do that stuff really, really well. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, now we can start trying to build the complexity a little bit off of that. I can't go off like the deep end because still like in that situation, we're training for 20, 30 minutes, but there's like 50, 12 to 14 year olds. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're still confined. So uh, to give you a good example this year, we're, and I like it. We're doing such a, it was such, it was eye opening because I've changed a lot in my, my philosophy in terms of, I think probably like a lot of people, very traditional, uh, like lifting, you get stronger. That's how you're going to get faster and all this other stuff. My, last year, my thought process has changed a lot with that. It's changed across the board, but it's also, I've seen the kind of the, a lot more of the benefit with that stuff from a speed development, plyometric standpoint with younger athletes. So now if I've got 30 minutes with our 12 to 14 year olds, like last year, I want to say it was very, we didn't really do much speed or plyo stuff because it's like, okay, they're going to go practice or they're going to go play. So you know what? They're going to get that stuff there. Now I've got, we've got the session split up. So it's like, it might be a 15 minute lift, 
but then they're doing 15 minutes on the tennis courts and they're doing skips and jumps and like other like the rudiment if you're familiar with the altist stuff uh from dan path they're doing the rudiments different variations of the rudiment hops and things like that um so that's like a change this year that we're doing that i did not do last year you know what i mean and i'm seeing a lot of the benefits in terms of how our kids are running how they move their reactivity you know how they look on like pogo hops like the spring that they have um so that's been like really really good but again like with a lot of that stuff i can't get too complex because we only have 15 minutes there might be 30 kids on a tennis court the co- you know what i mean stuff like that so that's been um uh you know kind of like how i progressed stuff i know kind of went in a so good so random good. angles there but I'm yeah gonna- I'm just going to ask you on the variation side. I know you said you do keep things reasonably consistent. How do you keep the kids, especially those that maybe slower at progressing through, how do you keep them engaged if there's not as much variation? Because we all know kids get bored super quickly, um, especially if they're maybe struggling. So how do you keep that engagement there without the variation? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think the key word that you said that I think, in my opinion, that I've kind of come to realize has gone uh, or has been overlooked is the engagement component of like, it doesn't matter if you're working with 12 year olds or 25 year olds. And this is a concept that uh, like, are you familiar with Ben Pakulski at all? He was bodybuilder, um, super, one of the smartest people I've ever been around. He was on, I think, uh, I can't remember. It was uh, one of the Netflix ones. What was it? I can't remember, but anyway, super smart. And he's talked a lot about like the mental component. And it makes sense, the mind muscle connection and bodybuilding. You can't have that if you're not focused and you're not like completely engaged in what you're doing. And I think a lot of times when I look back on like a lot of my programs and other stuff, that engagement aspect hasn't been there. It's kind of like you go sit in a lecture or you go learn something. If you go sit in a passive lecture where you're just listening to someone talk for an hour, how much are you going to retain? But if I go somewhere and I'm in even 10 or 15 minutes, but it's, it's hands on, people are talking or whatever. I'm pretty confident that you're going to retain a lot more information in that shorter session because of that engagement component. You know what I mean? Like, so that's been an area where I've really tried to find ways to, if we can keep the engagement, then we can keep making the progress. Once kid, once anyone gets bored, then the execution, like it's just not going to, you're not going to go in the direction that you want. So one way uh, that we do that, and I think it's the good way is that like, we'll say like a split squat, for example, is that, we can go body weight. We can keep doing body weight. We can do different tempos, but now we can start loading it. So we can load it holding a plate. We can hold it a dumbbell. We can hold it a goblet squat. We can do different variations. So I can have the same person doing a split squat and they might just be body weight or they might just be working on the lower component, but then I have someone that's able to do that much, much better. Hey, you're going to hold a 25 or a 10 kilo plate or whatever it might be. So even though the movement hasn't stayed, the load has changed. We can uh, do different stuff. So like I'll do different, uh, like the single leg squats, we'll do step up variations that progress into that. So when I see someone's doing the single leg step up really, really well, I'll have them individually. And it's helpful when everyone understands the movement that I can take five out of a group of 30 and I can teach them something new. But the other 25, it's not like they're just running around and don't know what to do because we keep doing that same stuff. You know what I mean? And that's been one of the big things that I think is helpful is that, uh, you know, when you keep stuff the same, but you change up those variations, you keep changing it up. And now when people see, oh, okay, this is the level we want to get to, or I, or I say like a, an example from an engagement that I'm really excited about. So I've had numerous like uh, women's uh, soccer players, football players, um, you know, that when they get to college, they could not do a chin up on day one. You know what I mean? Like could not do a chin up full stress the way I want. And I, I just like come, I, I came from our middle school last week and we've got seventh grade, 12 year old girls that are doing multiple chin ups. You know what I mean? My standard it's the same as it was. That's the nice thing. I, I, I'm very strict about my standards on chin-ups. So when I say a 12-year-old could do a chin-up, it's with a standard that I kept with my D1 athletes, if you will. 
So like we're making a lot of progress. So when I can tell someone kind of like what you're talking about, getting someone excited about it. When I tell a 13 year old girl, like, you know, female athlete or like a, a 15 year old, you know, male football or whatever it might be that, Hey, we're getting to a point where we're, we're, you're, you're three or four years ahead of where some of these individuals I had. Now it doesn't mean you're going to be a division one player. You don't have the skill set they do, but we're making that progress. Now you hear that stuff. Are you going to enjoy what you're doing a lot more? Yeah. The engagement's going to be higher. The other thing that I think helps with the engagement too, is I really in like in the situation I uh, kind of talked about, when there's one of me and there's 50 athletes, let's say, I can't coach everyone. Like, you know, I, I try and be, I'm 100% honest, like with the individuals, like, hey, here's the deal. I I wish I could coach each each and every one of you because we make faster progress and we'd be exactly where I want us to be. But that's not realistic and that's not the situation we're in. But I feel pretty confident that I'm going to teach you, the whoever, 12 to 18 year old, I'm going to teach you the parts to look for. So if me and you are partners, Rob, right, I'm going to teach you everything so that when I go, you can coach me. Right. So if I'm not doing something right, I'm probably not going to see it as a coach. But if you're only focusing on one individual at your rack or two individuals at your rack, are you able to make those corrections? Yes. If I've done a good job teaching you how to do those things. Now, if you're if I'm going and you're you're watching me, are you engaged? Because if you're not, that's the way all the other stuff is insignificant. I want to see you coaching. That's what I care about. That's where my attention is going to go. That's where my focus is, because I know if you're coaching him, I'm going to get better. You know what I mean? So like, that's when you talk about the engagement, if I give you a task to do, cause I think that's where a lot of people lose focus is I'm not going and I'm ahead somewhere. And it's not focus. Isn't something that you can just bring back, especially when you're younger. You know what I mean? If I can keep you engaged for the whole time, whether it's, you're doing the movement, you're coaching the movement. Now here's the other thing. If I'm coaching a movement, do I probably have a better understanding of how that movement should be done? The coaching points or whatever. Yeah. So now when I'm doing it, I'm going to be better at doing the movement because I have a better frame of reference. I have better, I call it like mental modeling. I have a better models in my head. If I see someone do something incorrectly, now I have a picture of that in my head. So now when I go do that movement, I'm able to draw and reference that image that I had to make that correction if I get that coaching cue. Does that make sense? So like Absolutely. Those, are the, those are the engagement components that I think are super important. And that's where I see a lot of stuff, like not just like lifting from like the speed development, our acceleration work, our plyometrics, like trying to, trying to get trying to get kids or athletes to understand. So like on a pogo hop, right. Of like, I'll bring people up and be like, Hey, now here's what I want you to do. I watch. Now when he goes, do you see how much longer he's on the ground? He gets higher, but you see how much longer. And, and a lot of times they're like, yeah, they see that. Now I see the other person go, he doesn't maybe get quite as high, but he's quicker. And he's more reactive, you know, like quicker ground contact time. So like, Hey, so when we're doing this and you're watching your partner, we really want to focus on that. Now you have a better, you know what I mean? Like a better frame of reference mm-hmm. on the plyometrics, the speed stuff. So that keeps people engaged. And it's just like anything is like, you don't know and you're not very good at stuff. When you start keep getting better at something, you enjoy it more. You know what I mean? Because you see and you feel the progress. So that's the way from an engagement standpoint of not, I'm not out to make things complex or whatever, but like if I'm doing, we'll say like a squat, there's probably seven, eight, nine coaching points that I want to see on these squats. You know what I mean? So like if you're going, it's not like, okay, chest is up. No, there's probably like seven or eight things. And that might not teach you all those at once, but now there's constantly, you know what I mean? Like you're constantly having to think and be, be in that, in that moment, coaching and executing and stuff like that. So that's one of the, I think, and, and, you know, just subjectively noticing, I feel like that's a great way that the engagement stays up is when we really emphasize that component. Well, the, like everyone said, the best thing to do to learn is to teach someone else. So that's, yeah. So just moving on to that, because again, what fascinates me and fascinates probably the rest of the people in our community in the UK, when you look at high schools over there, is the amount of kids that you have to coach, potentially one to 50 or one to 60, like you mentioned. 
Any tips for people to, I mean, you give them one there, great one, pair people up and have them coach each other. Is there any tip, other tips that you would give to, again, keep the engagement, but keep the quality there with the athletes that you're working with when you do have such big groups? Because there'll be more people out there listening who have got big groups of kids versus one-on-one, mm-hmm. you know, five to one with elite athletes who are 25 and in the NFL or Premier League or whatever. So for them, more developmental athletes, any tips? Yeah, so I would say... One of the big things, even though I can't coach everyone at once, I like to, when we're doing, you know, entry level movements or, uh, you know, anything along those lines, I like to, how I position people is really important to me. Cause then the more people I can see going at once, it's kind of like a pattern. You know what I mean? If I see 20 things I can point, but they're all like really close to my vision. I can see the three things that I need to fix and I can go correct those. But if I see these random points and I have to look and whatever, I can't. I can't see all that at once. You know what I mean? So like, that's one of the big things. So like if I'm doing a split squat now, it's going to be dependent upon space and other factors, but I'm going to try and get everyone relatively in a straight line. So I can just stand down and I can see everyone go. You know what I mean? So I can try and get as much people coached as I can at the same time. The other thing kind of with that is I'm, when I'm teaching and we're developing, I'm going to call out probably 99% of the time, I'm going to call it the movement. So I'm going to say down, I'm going to say up, I'm going to say this other stuff. You know what I mean? Because if I just let people go on their own, that's where people are going to get unfocused. They're not going to, they're just going to be all over the place and our execution is not going to be good. And the focus is just going to whatever. But when everyone has to be doing the same thing. So when I say down and say, I'm in the bottom of a squat and I see 30 people down, we can make quick coaches. I can say something, whatever. But if I just see, well, this person's down, but this person's up in this quarter, this person's down here or whatever, I can't give out you know, general coaching cues in that, in that situation. So like a good example, and it's interesting. I like, I noticed this stuff is if we're doing bodyweight squats and I might have one person or if there's 30 people going, there might be three people. We'll just say the chest up example that I, that I'm talking to. But if I just say chest up, it's not just the three people now that are responding to that. I'll see like 80% of the group, even if their chest is already up, they're trying to get up even more. You know what I mean? So it's like, I can give out those general cues and it's not, I mean, I guess you could argue, is it debatable if your chest is already out or, you know what I mean, whatever, but you can't, I don't necessarily know you can say that's a negative, you know what I mean? So I can make general coaching cues that are going to affect everyone, you know, heels down, get the knee forward, whatever it might be. So that would be one of the big things is calling everything out. And then once we get to a certain point, so if I'm doing a tempo two, that's the other thing is if, if I want a four second lower, I want a four second lower. All right. And I, I'm very specific on that. All right. And when I say four seconds, I like, I'll pull out. I'm, I've gotten good because I've done this for long enough that I know what a four second count is. So if I count down four, three, two, one, and up, that's standardized. So I know if I'm in Texas, I know if I'm in the UK, I know, I think <laughs> if I'm in Australia, four seconds is four seconds. Now I know maybe there's some other time zone, maybe it'll change this time speed, quantum mechanics might change or whatever, but I know that that's going to be standardized. Now, if, if I have a person over here and a person over here, one person's counting four, three, two, one, which is normal. That's how most people are going to count, right? No, no, no. I like, I coach that. We're going to go over how to count because right? I want it done correctly if you're coaching your partner. You know what I mean? So that's, if I'm able to, I'll count everything out. And then once I feel confident that people can do it, all right, now here, I'm going to let you go on your own. But if, if you're not doing the four second lower, we're going to go back to me having to count everything. You know what I mean? I'm going to have to babysit you and whatever. And so for the most part, most people, after we've done it a while enough, now they understand what a four second lowers, what a five second lowers, what's a three second plus, you know what I mean? All those different stuff. Um, because if you don't do that, like I've seen, I've seen it enough when you just let people do that on their own, they're not going to do it correctly. And so say I'm, say I'm programming 
I don't know, a phase where I want a three second lower and a one second pause. And now in the next phase, I want a two second lower and no pause. But if, if the if in the first phase, everyone's still just, if the speed doesn't change, like we didn't change mm-hmm. any stimulus. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So like, that's why like the time is so important to me. So, and that's another thing that like, I might sound redundant, but like, I'm very, I tr- I'm very specific with the stuff. So like a lot of times I'll see when I don't do a good job coaching this, you're going over this. If I'm coaching, say you, and when should the clock start? So if I'm counting for you, when should the clock start? Because I'll see a lot of people will start counting before the person's even moved down four, three. And I'll say like, hold on, hold on. So we want four seconds from the time, say the, the knee bends till we get to the bottom. So if you start counting before they've even moved, is that really a second? No. You know what I mean? So like, that's a teaching component of the coaching component of like, no, I don't want you to don't, don't start counting until you see that person move. You know what I mean? So like, that's another way. And like I said, the kids, that's engagement. Oh, you know what I mean? Like kid probably didn't know that, think about that or whatever. Now they're more likely to watch that and think about that. stuff. So going back to your point, but spacing, counting, um, and then like kind of just being like, Hey, I'm going to give you the responsibility, but if you can't handle that, then I'm going to take it back. And I think that causes a lot of people to focus and they want to be, they're kind of challenged. You know what I mean? So like, that's one of the ways coaching in a large group, just a couple of things that, uh, you know, I think are pretty effective. And then like trying to put in quality over quantity, I think is super, super important. So like I've made this mistake countless times at all different levels of trying to get too much stuff done. And you look back and it's like, man, we're not really good at any of this stuff. You know what I mean? It's because I'm trying to do too much stuff and we're not good. So like there's times like even right now where I'm like, I'm trying to get too much stuff done. And I've had to like take a step back and realize, okay, wait, you're 16 years old. Realistically, if I just do front squats and chin-ups with you and I do that twice a week, you're going to make a ton of progress. But I'm trying to do all these different exercises and all this other stuff. And I'd like us to be able to do that. But I've got to be able to step back as a coach. You know, I, I think the term is metacognition of being able to step back and realize, like, how does everything look or is everything like um, working? Am I able to judge myself? You know what I mean? Am I able to have a, a try to be a non-biased and see stuff? And there's times where I look, like I said, and I'll be honest, I'm looking, I'm like, man, this isn't good. Like, I haven't coached something good. I haven't, ex- I haven't, whatever. So like, there's times where I got to step back and be like, okay, you know what? We're just going to do this and this. And it, it, it gets better results because the quality is better, the focus, the intent's there and all those other stuff. Um, so I think that's one of the big things. Don't, if you want to be good at something, right? Don't worry about doing five other things. If it's really a priority, focus on that, right? If I want someone to be able to squat and chin up correctly, all right? Yeah, I'd like to be able to do back extensions or whatever. But if, if I don't have the time to teach, coach, execute, structure the workout based around those things, then that's what my constraint probably is going to be is that I'm not giving enough time. We're not doing enough coaching. I'm trying to get too much stuff done and the quality is going to suffer. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Joey. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around making things fun, making things fun, introducing games with the youth athletes or youth populations that they're working with. So super part two coming up with Joey. This episode of the Pasty Performance Podcast is sponsored by Black Box Fitness. Black Box Fitness are leaders in performance training equipment and facility design. Black Box are specialists in designing and building performance facilities for sports teams and strength and conditioning coaches. Black Box manufacture and distribute a full range of strength training equipment from their headquarters in Belfast right across Europe. If you want to learn more about Black Box, check out their website, blackboxfitness.com or follow them on social media at Black Box Fitness. 
And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And this episode is also sponsored by Satanta College. Led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, Satanta College provides coaches with the opportunity to take their career to the next level with qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science. Satanta's blended learning approach ensures you have flexibility to continue your studies alongside your coaching practice. And lectures are delivered online with practical workshops held in locations across Ireland, the UK, the United States, India and South Africa. Courses are designed by experts in the field of sports science, including Professor Ian Jeffries and Des Ryan, with a focus on practically applying the most current methodologies in your day-to-day coaching. Applications are now open for the MSc in Performance Coaching and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Psychology, along with a range of strength and conditioning programs from certificate to degree level. Visit stantacollege.com for more information and how to apply. And now back to the episode with Joey. Just going back to them, that them tempos, any athlete, whether you're kids, whether you're 25, whether you're 55, if someone's counting down for five, you do that means three. Yeah. If you're doing three, that means one. So yeah, yeah. especially with kids, you have to be uh, yeah, four means four, five means five. Yeah, exactly. Just just while while my while my attention's there on um, a, a chat that we had before we press record. And it was your sarcastic um, posts on, on on Instagram about your sport specificity squat, sport specific squats. That you have a specific squat for football, specific squat for hockey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I messaged you, and obviously the the sarcasm in Instagram posts and by the sounds of it, emails doesn't always come across. So do you want to just I, just have a little explanation of that? And interestingly, some of the comments that you actually get off the back of it. Oh yeah. So, uh, so I think I, I have, obviously I've made sarcastic, I thought they were sarcastic, um, responses about like sports specificity and squats and stuff like that. So I keep part, part of like the, like I said, the kind of going back to the situation that I'm in, what I'm working, I think generally, you know, at a time, 50, 60 athletes, and I might have, so like this afternoon, I think I've got, uh, women's soccer and softball in together. So I got two separate teams. I'll probably have 50, 60 athletes in, right? So me and 50 or 60 athletes, you know what I mean? Different programs. Softball is on like a three day week because of their schedule. Soccer's on it too. So they're not even doing like the same. They're all doing, and I'll go why it's important, right? But they're on different programs. You know what I mean? So it's like a lot of the stuff that I base a lot of stuff on is working in a large volume of athletes. You know what I mean? So it's like for the most part, now if someone's got an injury or there's a structural issue, then we'll definitely modify that or whatever. But like when I teach a squat, it's not based around, hey, you're a volleyball player. Oh, I'm going to do a different one because you're a basketball player or whatever. 
when we look at, especially with youth developmental athletes, like we're trying to develop foundational skills, you know what I mean? So there definitely could, like, I, I'm not, not saying that you can't have structural anatomical, um, you know, differences that can and then change things up. But for the most part, like I want it, I want a basketball player to be able to dorsiflex their ankle and I want them to be able to dorsiflex it really well. I want a soccer player to be able to dorsiflex their ankle very well. I want a football player to be able to do that. You know what I mean? So like most of the stuff that I do is standardized around that stuff. We'll make variations or whatever. But so like if you came in and you watched our softball players chin up and then you watched our football players chin up, you should see basically the same stuff. You know what I mean? Same as on our squats, same as on our pushups, same as on kind of those core things. And that's, uh, I, I think the later on you get into the developmental process or, you know, more towards the professional higher level, when you've been training for a while, then I, I definitely agree. There can be times where you're getting more specificity into that, but it's kind of like, I, I like, I guess I work in school, so I can use school examples. If you can't add, subtract, you're not very good at algebra. And now I go put you in calculus like how good are you going to be at that? You know what I mean? And that's where like developing those foundational movement stuff will progress, progress, progress. And, and that's where like from the speed development, acceleration, some other stuff as well is the developing those positions, understanding how the positions feel and all those things that's going to allow us to get down the line, you know, potentially with, with more specific type work. Um, but like all for the most part, I say 80 to 90 percent, especially in the setting I'm in, is pretty much standardized across the board. Baseball will be a little bit different because um, we'll do some different stuff like with the shoulder stuff and stuff with them. But for the most part, and that's a mistake I've made of trying to do. Get it when you're working with 12, 13, 14 teams, you can kind of, I, like there's times where I'm like, I'll, I'll explain, hey, we're going to do uh, thoracic cars and I'll get wrestlers to look at me like, wait, what? I'm like, God oh, dang it. I forgot. I haven't taught you that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like when I can, you know what I mean? And that when I can kind of more standardize stuff across the board, it makes it better in those settings where you're dealing with two teams and I got to go take another team or whatever that when I know everyone's pretty much on the same page, that I can coach that more effectively. But people genuinely think that they have different, like a, you've created <laughs> something special for these individual sports. That's yeah, true. I know. Like, I, I mean, uh, there's kind of like we were talking about, like, I, and I, I don't want to, it's kind of hard to, you, when you look at like base rates and how many people like, because probably the people that know I'm sarcastic aren't the ones that are messaging me. You know what I mean? So it's <laughs> like probably a handful. But yeah, I mean, there's realistically like, and I think, I think the knowledge, and I think this goes to a lot of different uh, kind of areas. The more informed and knowledgeable we get, I think the better things move, you know, talking specifically from a sports performance strength conditioning standpoint. So like, I mean, I'll still get questions, emails, tagged on, uh, you know, stuff from about knees going over the toes. You know what I mean? From, you know, that, whatever. And uh, now if you, 10 years ago, like knees over the toes. I remember when I was like 15 and I remember reading, like in trying to find some of those books, your knees should never go over your toes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like when I'm doing lunges, there's a reason why, all right. If you ever, I, I don't think I've probably posted a squat video in like a long time. All right. There's a reason why I don't do splits. I'm, I'm my own bad example. And I show the kids like, Hey, this is why we do this stuff. Because when I was your age, I do not box squat. And I'm not saying anything bad. I'm not saying bad about back squats or whatever, any movement, but when you don't go through a range of motion and you put those constraints in, the body's going to take those positions away. So my ankles are horrible. Anyone that's ever seen me, I maybe have like three or four degrees of ankle dorsiflexion. I know all my FRC stuff, pails and rails. All right. They're still really, really bad. All right. Because I went through a large phase of my training life, career, whatever you want to call it, where it was like your knee should not go forward at all. You know what I mean? Like develop the posterior chain again. And again, I'm not trying to, I know people will take this, whatever, uh, whatever way. I'm not saying don't do that or whatever, but like, 
there's a reason why those things happen. You know what I mean? So now I think like say the knees over toe example, for example, there's still people that probably don't like, oh, I shouldn't do this, but there's probably significantly a lot less. So now when you talk about sports specificity now, I think there's a lot more people that are understand like kind of what I think what I was saying about like, you don't need to get specific with that stuff. Now at the same point, now you get, okay, now we get into the like, okay, how many people actually believe that? And then how many people actually want to make money off the opposite? So like, yeah, great. Like if you go put on Instagram, someone squatting on a BOSU ball, holding a football with bands, people are going to look at me like, Oh man, you know what I mean? There's still, you're going to make money off of that. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's still that component now, I think with social media and, and other modalities is that, the more knowledgeable you get, though, so if, I have a, if I'm a parent, hopefully that you're becoming educated enough that you see that and you're like, that's not what my child needs or that's not what they should be doing. You know what I mean? Whereas maybe five, 10 years ago, you would you would have a lot more people that that's what they think they need. And hopefully five years down the line, you know, what I mean? as more people get better educated parents, kids come through good strength conditioning programs and realize we didn't do any of that stuff. You know what I mean? That you're going to hopefully see even more of a continuum shift on that. But yes, uh, I do get people that still think that there's specific ways like with squats and stuff like that. So uh, I don't, and I don't believe in that. All good. Just get the sarcasm. Got to get the sarcasm. Um, let's have a little chat. I mean, you mentioned it there about developing speed. Let's have a little chat around your philosophy on that. Some of the methods that you use again, across the range of ages, um, how you progress these kids um, when you want to get kids fast. And we all know that, and I mentioned it probably every week when it when well, but certainly every time we discuss speed with anyone, that it is the thing. It is the thing now. If you like, people are spending thousands of pounds on education for to, to get athletes quick and and whatnot. So I'm I'm always interested to, to see what kind of methods people are using, especially in this setting with youth athletes. Yeah. So uh, so one of the things. I'll start by saying is that I'm, I'm very lucky. Like this is a situation where I've got some tools that I've never had any, any, any other point in my career, even working with higher level athletes and stuff like that. Like uh, the free lap, the sprint timing system that we have, uh, you know, some of the, the velocity based training uh, modalities that I have uh, contact grid, some other stuff. So I'm able to, to do a lot more testing and especially when you're working with a large number of athletes. So like when I've got three or 400 athletes, the hard part is trying to organize everything. You know what I mean? With, other factors and things like that, but I'm able to see like, so I've got, I've got like four experiments going on right now with across four different teams I'm looking at, uh, it relates to reactivity, RSI testing. Of, I've got different, um, uh, basically test parameters based around certain individuals end of their programs. If that makes sense, it, it probably doesn't, but like, I'm looking at, okay. I heard a podcast and it, it was very interesting. I'll come back to the actual speed component here in a second about it was someone that was really, really smart. And I apologize. I can't remember who the individual was, but it was someone that I really like this person knows what they're talking about. And they were talking about, you know, realistically, we probably know about 15 to 20% of the actual like training effects of, of specific exercise. You know what I mean? So it's like, do we really know, is this exercise? Uh, and, I, and I've thought about this, like what exercise is better for developing, let's say, I don't know, um, for developing, uh, you know, first step out of a two-point stance, a stagger stance, already, or a stagger stance deadlift, or a regular deadlift. You know what I mean? And you kind of look. It's like, well, do we really know? You know what I mean? And there's just so many other different variables that go into that. You know what I mean? That if you're not really testing and looking at stuff, you know, I, I, I don't really have an answer for that. You know what I mean? I'm, I know there's probably smarter people that that do or whatever, but I think there's a lot of training, so that humbleness to realize there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know. So. One of the benefits, like I said, when you're working with a large number of athletes of seeing interesting kind of, well, that's interesting, like trends. And that's why I like accurate 
methodologies like from a sprint testing climate or uh, you know power production standpoint of like okay if i'm seeing these numbers it's not like subjective well i feel like i'm getting stronger i feel like i'm getting faster or whatever it's like no like if we're working on your rsi your reactive your, you know 10-5 whatever protocol you are if that number is not going better or getting higher then we're really not getting you know the impact and now i can look at like okay our flying 10 or whatever we're working on so that's where i the, the things that I look at now are a lot different than they were six months ago, a year ago, and hopefully they'll be different than what I look at from a year ago from now at this point. Cause I, I expect to keep learning and getting a better understanding of stuff. Um, so when looking specifically at youth athletes, uh, I'm looking at, and I'm looking at base level stuff. So like skips, height, distance, things like that. The rudiment hots. Can we see good reactivity? Can we see stuff like on pogo hots? Can we see, understanding quick ground contact times. Can we understand like positioning on like acceleration movement? So like a holds and different stuff like that. Can we start to understand keeping our hips up? Cause I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, with the older athletes that I've seen like on top end speed of like, and, I, and probably other people can relate to this of like seeing the hips drop, you know what I mean? So we're not keeping our, we're not keeping our hips vertical. We're not keeping our hips tall. You know what I mean? So if we can start to try and introduce those concepts and get a better understanding of that at a younger age, Again, you know, I don't have this is some of this is like a, a live test run for me. Like, OK, let's see what happens a year from now. You know what I mean? Like, are, are, are these things are we seeing different stuff? One of the things I have, you know, and I know there's probably people that have different uh, you know, opinions or thoughts on this is I've seen. It, it, like from a team sport standpoint, OK, how much how much time do we need to spend on technique work? You know what I mean? And I know that's a very broad question because we're not track athletes. At the same point, though, like I've seen. Even some individuals that are pretty fast, but I look at stills and it's like, dude, we are horrible right now. Like these positionings, you know, like whatever. So if we don't even change anything from a power production standpoint, you know, reactivity, whatever it might be, but we clean up how we're, how we're producing transmitting force, you know what I mean? Is that going to be a bigger leverage point on speed development than doing some other stuff? You know what I mean? And that's kind of, if I'm seeing a lot of these same positions, Right. And we just kind of let stuff keep going on. There's like are my 12, 13, 14 year olds are going to probably keep doing, you know what I mean, this stuff if it doesn't get corrected. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, is this valuable? Is it not valuable from a time standpoint? So I know people might say like, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds, like let's say wickets, for example, you know, maybe they shouldn't be doing wickets. It might not be they focus on other stuff. You know what I mean? I did wickets this summer with my 12, 13, 14 year olds. All right. When I look back, they got better at them. They got better at positions. Now, I still wouldn't say they were great at them, but like, was that valuable? Well, you know what? I'll be honest. I don't really have an answer right now. Ask me a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, that if we're getting into a better position, say in two years when you're 16, right? Now we're not having to spend a lot of the time when you're 17 and 18 working on those basic positions, if you will, because now they're they're intrinsic or, you know what I mean? Muscle memory, I think is probably the right term of like, that's one of the things that um, I put a tweet out, I think it was a couple of weeks ago about kind of long distance running, you know what I mean? Like, and just running miles and miles and miles. And I think one of the things, like when you look at that, like running distances from a, a, a technique standpoint is a lot different than running, you know, acceleration, max velocity, whatever it is. So when we talk about muscle memory, especially when you're at that younger age, and again, I'm not trying to say don't ever run distances and, and whatever my thought process is, if we already have something that we're not very good at. So maybe it's, I'm striking in front of my hip all the time, or you know what I mean? I'm really long in the backside, but now I continually run mile upon mile and graining those bad techniques, bad, if you will, techniques. It's a lot harder to fix bad technique. You know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of my 
thought process with that is like we're, we're ingraining bad stuff. Now, if you get someone with like, say, a track background that can run pretty good, it has good technique, and now they're 13, 14-year-olds, and you haven't run miles, they're going to probably be able to go back to that good technical foundation that they have, if that makes sense. Or that's kind of my thought process with that. So that's I'm, – I, I, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's the what's – the, best stuff we should be working on. Cause I'll be honest, it's the first time I've worked with this population, you know what I mean? Ever. So I think there's stuff that you can read in a book. Like we need to focus on this or that, or, you know, whatever. But then there's a the reality of like seeing individuals and it's like, man, like I keep seeing these trends. Like if we don't put, do something to fix this trend, like it's just going to stay that way. You know what I mean? So I, I really, to get back to your, your question, trying to do, you know, you know, entry level skips, hops, different types of plyometrics, you know, lower level, like, uh, you know, even just broad jumps, squat jumps, things like that, but understanding the concepts behind them, driving our foot, creating force, taking those concepts, like, okay, so now when we squat, right, you feel how you push your foot through the ground when you squat. Now when we broad jump or we're doing this push, I really want you to focus on driving that foot through the ground to project your body out or whatever it might be. So trying to understand the concepts with the younger athletes. So like, again, we can start developing more of a, a broader level. I would say, you know, it is more complex, but developing off that base. You know what I mean? If I have someone that doesn't even understand really what a push feels like and can't really understand that our ability to do acceleration work is going to be very limited. You know what I mean? We can keep developing a bigger engine, which is obviously very important, but if we don't understand the difference between striking down and back and just striking down when I'm trying to accelerate you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a, that's a, a relatively big issue. You know what I mean? I would say so. Uh, and from people that I've learned from, you know, um, so that's kind of a lot of stuff that trying to understand concepts, positioning, uh, you know, directions, angles of force, and then the, the plyometrics working on making it, you know, enjoyable. And cause I think obviously if you're 12, 14, that's one of the benefits of having some of the technology of like, okay, we're running a flying 10 or a, a, a 10 yard sprint or whatever. And you get, you you know what you sprint every time. So I tell you, you're running a flying 10 and you just ran a one, one seven, right? Now, if we come back two weeks later, you're on a one, one, four, you're excited. You know what I mean? Cause you have that. Now your friends are talking about that. I think that plays into the other challenge though, of working with younger athletes is that using that it's very easy to lose. What is it? The forest through the trees, right? So if I'm just trying to find, cause you're going to, and I've seen this like, okay, you're trying to run faster, but now instead of using good technique that we've been working on, you're just trying to muscle through it to run as fast as you can. Right, your time might have gotten a hundredth of a second faster, but in the long scheme of things, in four years, is that do we is that one tenth of a second more valuable than the actual technique work that we're trying to do? That's going to benefit you five years down the line. So I think that's the that's the challenge of trying to teach, utilize those tools, but also not just trying to like that's not the the long term goal supersedes these short term goals, if you if you will, and no understanding and understanding that aspect of it, if you will. Absolutely. One thing I've got to ask you, and it's probably the last thing I will, because I'm, I'm taking up uh, a lot of your afternoon. Introduction of, of games to, again, using the engagement piece that we spoke about at the start, but still trying to develop speed and enhancing, well, trying to maintain technique, but trying to incorporate into to fun games. Is there any games out there that you use that always get, always a hit, always a hit, always get the outcome, always get the engagement? Any examples that you that you could give us? Hmm. You know, I really like, and this is another area that, that has changed a lot because I've done a lot more, um, I guess, a deeper dive and trying to learn a lot more into like, uh, you know, uh, the brain, uh, you know, neuroanatomy, neuro, uh, neurochemistry, kind of like what goes into the actual engagement, what goes into the neurotransmitter, you know, kind of release, what goes into dopamine, what goes into learning, what goes into acetylcholine release and things like that. Um, so 
I try and incorporate like our agility work with that component um, because I think that's been one of kind of the the things that if I look back, say five years ago to now, that's totally different of getting away. And I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for it, but getting away from the typical, you know, like cone drills and stuff like that mm-hmm. and understanding like how we perceive the environment is <laughs> That is like, I'll be honest, like when you look at expertise and what makes people really good, it's not, yes, they can move fast and, you know, make, you know, cuts and eccentric loading and stuff like that. But it's, it go, it's what goes on in the brain. You know what I mean? So like when I try and structure the games, the agility stuff, it's varying levels of what you would see, whether you're playing American football, you know, football in the UK, England, you know, basketball or whatever of like seeing these different kind of patterns and these different structures Cause the brain and the body is going to see those things. Now the outcome of what we're trying to do is going to be different based around the sport. But if I say, I say I need to get to the, the end of the box in soccer and I've got, what is say like a two on one, you know, kind of situation. All right. Well, if I just run in a straight line, they're both going to converge. So if I can create deception of like, I'm making you look like I'm going towards the corner and I know I'm, I'm using bad soccer football examples right now, but I make it look, I flip the hips, but then I flip them right back. You know what I mean? When I try that out, right, did that give me a good, did that fool someone, right? Now, if that fools someone, I'm going to be more likely to implement that when I go play my sport. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, like, Absolutely. that's, I'm very, I'm very specific from a, a lifting, kind of a lot of different areas in terms of, like, I want it done this specific way. Now, when I get to that stuff, I'm much, 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 much more the play aspect, hands off, right here, here, I'm going to create a couple constraints. You have to go, if you see this person come here, then you don't have this option. But if you see this and this, you know, kind of, and it sounds kind of complex, um, but it, it, I don't think it really is because our kids really enjoyed it. And now you let them like, Hey, I want you to make a miss. You know what I mean? So like, you got to shake him, you know, he's coming at from this angle. And I know now the defender you're coming hundred percent. All right. Is it harder to stop and, and, and say, you know, be in a good defensive stance if you're coming at hundred percent? A hundred percent is, you know what I mean? So I know, so that's the constraint of say that progression or level. It is harder for the defender. You know what I mean? But if I put you in a situation that's significantly harder and you're able to do well, then you know what I mean? It's like, you're, that's, that's good for what we're going to see in like game competition, stuff like that. So trying to, I'm trying to think of specifics. I don't necessarily know that I have any, I guess, uh, you know, trying to do different stuff where the kids don't have, there's like 30 different options that they could pick from and trying to encourage like, Hey, I want you to try something new. So like, I know this might be, you might, it's kind of like if you a basketball example, if you have one go-to move, right, you're probably going to use that all the time. But if I take that away and I'd make you develop secondary moves, is that going to make you a better player? You know what I mean? Like from a, a soccer football standpoint, if you're really, really good with your right leg, but now I go through a 10 minute pace of practice where like, literally you are not allowed to touch the ball with your right leg. Is that going to make you a better football soccer player? I think it will, because now you're going to have to de- develop new skills with your left leg to be that will hopefully make you better. So now when you can use the right leg, now you have more options with that left leg. You might try something with that left leg that you never even thought about before. But because I placed that constraint on you, now you might have to develop a skill or you will develop a skill that you never thought possible. You know what I mean? So that's one of the things I think, especially at the early ages, you know what I mean? If we can just try this, try that or whatever, you're going to develop a much, much broader base from an agility, change of direction, perception of the environment, understanding like uh, understanding angles, understanding position, understanding speed. So if I have different people coming at different speeds, how well can my brain track how fast you're coming? So think about like a car example. I, I like using these car examples. If I'm at a stoplight and I'm going to make a, uh, okay, I'm sorry. This could be, I, 
I don't know how uh, in the UK, I don't know if traffic's the same. Just reverse it. We'll just reverse it. Reverse it. Are you able go to go left? Way. Are you able to go left then on a red? No, we're not. Uh, no, okay, we're okay. not actually. No, well, it's fine. Say, people, just... people in the UK will know you can in the States. So it's okay. fine. If I'm at a, a stoplight and I'm going to make a right turn and I see a car down in the distance, but I, that car could be coming at 80 miles an hour, I have to mentally change in my mind, am I going to be able to go? Now, if that same car is a little farther ahead, but they're traveling at 20 miles an hour, is that going to change up my decision if I can go or am I going to get in a crash? Yeah, it will. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of those things and are based around our experiences that we have. So I, it's hard to judge. If I'm just looking at the car, it's hard to judge the speed. But if I'm, if, I'm or if I'm looking at the car in relation to how it's moving against other objects, I'm able to get a better idea of that speed. So now let's say I'm on the pitch. You know what I mean? If I'm thinking about, or I have these different aspects when I'm 11 or 12 years old, even though we might not be playing soccer or football or whatever it is, but now I've got this idea. I've got, if I can understand speed, angles, positioning, if I can understand the subtle cues that I see from an individual defender, right? And I can recognize those things. Now I, that's, that's, I think where the agility for my understanding where I'm at right now from a, uh, a neurological standpoint, from a neuroanatomy standpoint, from the different kind of how we go into our perception of the environment, that's where I'm at. So that's what I really, really like with the younger kids of like finding different, just trying to invent different games. There's been stuff where I'm like, oh, this will be awesome. And I'm like, man, that's, that was not good. And I've had ones where I'm like, eh, I don't really know about this. And it's like, man, that worked 10, you know what I mean? That worked like 10 times better than I thought it would. You know what I mean? So that's where uh, just in implementing, but putting those kind of, putting those kind of constraints on and then just letting, let's see what happens. You know what I mean? And then pointing out if someone's like, well, like, you know, hold on. Hey, do you see him right there? Like, do you see how he flipped his hips and then he came back? Because then you might get, you get a lot of times where like the kids, athletes or whatever, like, oh, I didn't see that. Now what am I driving? Engagement. You know what I mean? So now, and, and this is the other thing, all right? And not to say, not to take any more time, but what are the people in the back of the line doing? That's what I'm super, super big on, right? Because if, if I've got a group of 20 and say I got three people active in a drill, there's not just three, I, there's an option for 20 people to be learning and getting better. You know what I mean? Because my angle, if I'm in the back of the line and I see someone start rotating, the person that's going, I start seeing him rotating his hips a little bit before he moves. Do you think that's going to, am I getting, becoming a better defender? Because I'm seeing that subtle cue. My angle in the back over here is different than if I'm the actual person going. You know what I mean? So all those things can get uploaded into the brain and give us better idea of what's happening. So that's what I really like. And that's what I is a sign of me and the engagement is if I'm looking and I'm just watching the drill, but I look at the people in the back of the line and what do you see? I'll be honest. A lot of times what you see is people talking, not paying attention, you know, whatever. My focus is I want to get everybody. I want the drill to work, but I'm more concerned about encouraging the people in the back that are watching so that we drive those behaviors so that we drive the learning process, which is going to ultimately make us better because of the things that I mentioned, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I've kept I've, Joey. I've kept you for an hour, and I think that's a, a good place to uh, do a little roundup. Where can people find you on social media, or reach out to have a little chat about anything we've spoken about, or anything else for that matter? Yeah. So, uh, so Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my handle is uh, my first and my last name. So at J O E Y B E R G L E S. Um, so that'd probably be the best place. Uh, you know, either one of those mediums would probably be the best place. Perfect. Happy days. Thank you for giving it me time. I hope I haven't taken you over your schedule and and uh, and ripped off some of your afternoon when you were, were supposed to be doing something else. But I really appreciate you, you uh, coming on for a chat. No, absolutely, man. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. And I, I'm just humbled and, uh, you know, honored that you had me on, uh, you know, the podcast. So, again, really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, 
awesome time talking this afternoon. Thanks, buddy. Speak soon. Have a good day. Yeah, yeah appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to episode 371 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Superb chat with Joey. I can't think I've had anyone on the podcast who speaks as quick as Joey. I was definitely trying to keep up and speak a little bit faster. But uh, superb episode, superb content. And I really do appreciate Joey for coming on and sharing his wisdom and knowledge of working in a high school environment. So also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs and Satanta College for sponsoring this episode today. The content and the podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I do appreciate your support and also your support as well for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. 